CI Edge podcast, where we explore the backgrounds of interesting individuals and how they intersect with our building industry in Iowa. I'm your host, Ben Hammes, and I'm going to bring to you topics that help educate, develop, grow, and enhance you and your company. Welcome to the podcast, Renee. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining the MBI Edge. I should say former state representative, Renee Schulte. Uh, thank you for being here today. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Excited to be here. Can you do an introduction for the audience here? Yeah, so I am Renee Schulte. I'm a former legislator, as you said. I call myself a recovering politician. Smart. And a reformed workaholic. (laughs) And so I work a lot on work-life balance these days. Yeah. Well, we're deep into the session right now, as our listeners may or may not know. And by the time this launches in the middle of May, pray to God we'll be out of session. What's uh, You track this stuff very, very closely. What's your prediction for when we get out of session? I'm hoping within the next two weeks, because they're actually talking budgets now. So maybe... If we're lucky, Senate's but if they get stubborn, today. who knows? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't see that there's much of a agreement or a path forward on this property tax situation, but no, that could keep them here a minute. It could. could. Yeah. We might get all budgets, but that, right? Yeah. So can you share with us kind of your journey from maybe your early days as a licensed mental health therapist to getting involved in public service as a politician to small business owner, to consulting and what you do now. Can you share with us your, your career path? Yeah. So I was a therapist. I've been a a therapist licensed in Iowa for a very long time and worked in the mental health system. And I was actually recruited to run for office. Never, ever had that thought. Um, I grew up in Illinois. A lot of the governors went to jail. Didn't think that was a career path for me, but they asked me if I would run. And I said, if I did, I would want to fix the mental health system. Mm -hmm. And was quickly told, nobody runs to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I said, well, then I'm not going to run because I don't really want to do it. But I did run, and we redesigned the system. It was part of what I did when I was there. That was the only reason I ran in the first place. Then I became quickly out of office with our nonpartisan map and then became a consultant for the state and got to write all the rules for the laws we passed. And so ever since then, I've worked in this consulting space to help people really see good policy to make healthy policies and then to implement them. And so now I work with a group called Rural Policy Partners. Mm -hmm. I own that. And we go out and help other states and our own state actually implement systems to make improvements so people can access systems better, especially in behavioral health. Talk about those changes, uh, you know, for our audience that may not be familiar. What changed in the system? So we used to have a 99-county system, which meant that, first of all, it was on property taxes, and every county got to do its own thing. So depending where you lived, you might or might not have gotten services. So we started now over a decade ago trying to get a system of core services that no matter where you live, you should be able to get help. And so that changed into some regions. It has moved forward with more crisis opportunities with crisis hotlines and crisis mobile for people to get help. And so we've really been working on building out a system so people can actually get the help they need. So if I'm in rural Iowa and I need some of these services, how do I find that regional community-based um, phone number? What? How do I find the, the resources that I need to go to? Well, first of all, it's gotten a lot easier. Now you just call, text, or chat with 988 is our suicide hotline, which is across the country. And they actually, if that's not who you need, will connect you straight to the other group. Mm -hmm. The other thing that you can do is go to the regional website. It's mhdsregion.com. And that has a big map that's interactive. And you can just click on where you live, and it'll give you all the information to get you connected. You talked about the property tax payers funding the 99-county system. 
that's shifted. It um, has. So talk about that now. Is it the, is it on the state? Is it still on property tax? No, that actually changed about three years ago now. The laws changed so that we moved it 100% to the state. And so now it is not based on property taxes. We still have local government involvement because they help make decisions as to where things should be spent and how it should go. But it is the state that funds the system, and that's part of that budget fight that's going on right now at the state house, actually. Yep. So when we had a 99-county system, um, and I'm going to pick a rural county that I'm familiar with, mm-hmm. let's call it Keokuk County, mm-hmm. what were some of the challenges that people had? Was it that the, the staffing wasn't adequate, that the... What, what were those? What made those changes go to a more regional-based system? Well, when you have property taxes, and that's how it funds, certain counties have property to tax, and certain counties don't. Yep. And so it just wasn't equitable from the get-go as far as certain counties just have more property. Mm-hmm. And so it became very inequitable from the beginning. Also, every time that you work in a rural community like Keokuk, There's a lot more windshield time Mm -hmm. just to get between people and Mm -hmm. get between services. And so it costs them more to do business. Mm -hmm. And so there was this expectation that it should cost the same across the state when that isn't fair Mm -hmm. to the rural community. So by having a state organization run it, you can look at all of those pieces now and make sure that people get what they need based on where they live. Mm -hmm. We, you know, the MBI membership, we are thought of, I guess, in a lot of ways as some of our larger companies um, employing a large amount of people being in the more populated urban areas. But we certainly have a lot of members, um, employees that live in rural Iowa, right. that commute, whether right. they're commuting east or west uh, to a job site or to the office. Um, but they part of what we're doing here in raising awareness for Mental Health Awareness Month in May is making sure that our folks know that they have access to those resources. And so I, I appreciate you laying that out and you know, we'll get into that kind of here more at the end about how they can more properly use that 988 resource mm-hmm. if they are struggling or if they need help. Um, but before we get there, I want to talk about some of the um, staggering statistics that I think you have and that you've uncovered about our industry. Can you share those with the audience? Yes. Yeah, so there was a, a pulse survey in 2021 by the American Psychiatric Association Foundation that finds that your industry is number two in suicide among major industries. And then they gave us a lot of list, a list of like, what are the factors that are contributing to that? And if you think about this, it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, But in your industry, toughness and strength is valued, Mm -hmm. right? And mental health can be seen as a weakness. Mm -hmm. So off the top, that's a challenge. Stigma and fear, people not wanting to be known for having issues. Shame and fear of being judged by others. Chronic pain. Your seasonal work can contribute to financial issues in Mm -hmm. some. Um, Limited job control and potentially really long hours can lead to fatigue. So you just have an industry that people may not consider high um, potential for mental health. But yet when you look at those topics, it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And so it's just just an industry that people haven't really thought about as being vulnerable mm-hmm. to suicide but it, it really is we've talked about burnout and i think everything you just highlighted can fall under the category of burnout um by the time this podcast episode airs we will have aired one um, that i shared with you from a ceo of one of our member companies mm-hmm. and some of the steps that they've taken to mm-hmm. um, improve that dialogue improve that understanding of the long work hours and um being more forthright about um, that burnout mentality and they do it for obvious reasons, but they do it for retention reasons too. They want to keep their people. And right. so this is all encompassing and, um, 
I think very, very important to talk about. Um, do you have any more statistics before we move on? Well, just that I was thinking about part of this survey talked about what is helpful in your industry. And so one they found that's most helpful in the program was saying that if there was employee assistance type programming available. And so EAPs are often offered by your businesses and your companies, but the, the rate at which people use it is pathetic. Mm. People guess it's somewhere between 1% and 5% utilage. That's it? Yep, even when all your businesses are paying for it. Wow. And people don't understand that it's free. There's financial counseling involved in addition to mental health counseling. That's part of most of those programs. And so they, but 63% of your businesses surveyed had those programs. So did, that's just not being utilized. Did the survey speak to why that such a, a, a low utility rate? Is it because employers don't do a good enough job explaining it to their employees? or Sometimes. Is it, sometimes they don't know it exists, or sometimes there's a stigma to wanting to use it, even or even it, yeah. fear of using it or not knowing how to use it. Sure. So the survey went on to talk about, like, how do you get people support if they don't use that? And so they talk about things like, they're, they call them toolbox talks, mm -hmm. but sort of your 15-minute chats like mm -hmm. we're doing here. But emails can be helpful, fact sheets, posting things around, um, any of those types of things. But what they found to be most effective is if the managers and supervisors have training in this space, just to be able to discuss it, which it sounds like your previous podcast will talk about. Just having the open opportunity to discuss it and feel safe to talk mm -hmm. is really, really important. And so it doesn't matter which things you offer. If people don't feel like you can really use it, they're not going to use it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It's 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 a valuable resource. Um, hopefully today with this, we'll, we'll encourage people to, to uh, increase that dialogue with their employers and with their employees. Um, a glaring issue that I hate talking about because we're three years into this thing, but we have to acknowledge that the pandemic changed everybody's mindset. Mm -hmm. um, from a life, from a mental health, a licensed uh, mental health therapist perspective, what did it do to the mental psych amongst the, um, America's workforce? So we've been tracking. I worked with a project called Project Recovery Iowa, which was formerly COVID Recovery Iowa, with FEMA. So. Everywhere in the country, the federal government gave monies to help through the pandemic, and we worked virtually nationwide for the very first time working with people to try to help through the pandemic. And we tracked data, and is, there's a, a poll that's done every, right now it's monthly, during the pandemic it was weekly, about people reporting having depression and anxiety in the past two weeks. And prior to the pandemic in 2019, nationally, the average was around 10% of people. Mm. Since the pandemic and present to this day, we are now hovering to 30 to 35% ongoing. Hmm. So two things have happened. One, more people are feeling anxious and depressed. And two, more people are talking about it. And so there's this good thing that came out of the pandemic people are speaking about it, but there's ongoing. The other things that happened, especially in Iowa, I don't know if you've seen the alcohol sales trends, but do you remember in 2020 when the bars all closed? Do you know that alcohol sales increased that year 13%? I can believe it. With the bars closed? I can believe it. The following year is another 10% increase. So we now rank number five in the country in binge drinking. Mm. And the population group that started binge drinking the most is actually middle-aged women. When all the kids went home from school, they busted out the wine bottles and mm. didn't look back. So it's middle-aged people. It's not our college students. We always think that we're the big college towns sure. and we're the big binge drinkers. But it's, our, it's us. It's the adults. That are drinking and so that's how we're coping and so that's leading us to the problem we're talking about today with suicide because alcohol is a depressant the more and more you drink the more depressed you feel and so it's just this cycle 
And so we're seeing a big, big problem, not just, and that's just in one um, type of drug. As you know, there's a lot of other drug issues as well. So those are the big pieces that we're seeing three years out is that we didn't cope well, we didn't talk about it well, and now we're paying the price. Mm. Yeah, alcohol consumption amongst a lot of Midwestern states has always been a problem, clearly exacerbated by the pandemic and made worse. You know, we've, when you talk about drug use too, um, I think one of the pieces you pointed out in the survey was chronic pain and prescription drug use as a result of that. We've been trying at MBI to do more awareness around that issue. We've um, at our last conference had a company called Goldfinch Health. I don't know if you're familiar with Goldfinch, but they've been in partnership now with the Attorney General's office and promoting a program called the Billion Pill Pledge where they're trying to get folks to stop using opioids or not even start them post-surgery right? and how those effects can be devastating down the line. And so what you're – yeah, I – can completely um, right. understand and, what you're talking about. And for here. people listening, what ends up happening, you start on the opioids, and then when your prescriptions run out, you either continue with the illegal prescriptions or you it's a quick hop to heroin mm. because heroin is the drug of choice that's cheap and on the streets, except heroin's not as pure. Heroin is definitely not regulated, and so then people end up dying from overdoses or things just because it gets connected to fentanyl and other things. And so you're right. It is a, a step stool to a lot of other bad things, and they're just trying to relieve their pain, yeah. but it becomes addictive. And so you're right. That's and you a, can that's mask it so easily. Yeah. Well, and it takes more and more. You get to build up a tolerance, right? So you know what took you a pill or two to make it through your work day now becomes four or five and then becomes more than that. And so you run out of those prescriptions really fast. And so then you have to get more. And so there, there's a lot of stories of heartbreak that started out with, you know, going to the dentist, getting your teeth sure. removed, starting on opioids and off it went. Sure. In, in, I think it was last summer, um, the U S government, I think from the federal level transitioned to this, um, from a 10 digit suicide prevention hotline to an easy nine, eight, eight hotline. Yeah. It took us how many years to to, to understand how important nine one one was, and now oh, every five year old in the country right. knows that number. Right? right, we teach it to them from a very young age. It's a very important resource. How long is it going to take us to get nine eight eight in every five year old's mind? And not 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 because a five year old needs to understand the effects of suicide prevention. That's not what I mean. But for it to be so obvious and present in our lives that people use it as a a viable resource right so i'm I'm glad you brought that up because it it does relate to back to how 911 started 911 started for heart attacks and stroke right Mm -hmm. that's what it was for it's become now everything and the the people that answer that are not trained in behavioral health that's not their forte that's not what it's for and so 988 is trying to come at this a different direction to have the people who get the calls to be experts in that field to move forward when you dial 988 call text or chat you're supposed to have three things happen. Somebody's supposed to answer immediately. Somebody's supposed to be um, sent by mobile to you to find you if necessary. And then there's the third component of a place to stay. And that part is going to be really difficult. It's mm. been difficult this whole time. We've had crisis services in Iowa now for years. We don't always have that place to stay. Mm. And so those are the three legs of this concept. So if you think about what we're trying to do federally, just even getting a system built out that can do those three pieces is huge. Secondarily, you've got to pay for it. And so just like 911, this is getting pieced together by different things. So right now, some of your major mobile carriers are already have a surtax for 988, and thank you to them. Mm. But states 
haven't necessarily brought this in. We don't love new taxes. Who does, right? Sure. And so it's it's kind of getting it pieced together. So it really depends if states kind of band together and kind of do a compact so that lots of people can bring this out all at once, then it'll go faster. But if we have to find money and piece it together over time, it's going to take some time. But we've already seen an uptake of 40 to 50% in people reaching out and calling the number, even when it wasn't promoted. Oh, wow. It went live last July, and we you didn't see big numbers about it or big ads because they thought they'd be overwhelmed. Mm. And so people have heard about it, word of mouth. It's already starting to work. And the really cool part is about 98% of people who call in can be handled and not have to be referred to the emergency room. So we are having a huge reduction in just having to go to the emergency room just because somebody has someone to talk to. Oh, interesting. So even if you're not fully suicidal or you're not sure but you need resources, they're the best place because they tap into everything else. So they can be your one-stop shop. If you can remember nothing else today, 988, call, text, or chat, anonymous, and they can get you the help you need. That's it's great. perfect. So let's – okay, I'm trying to draw the connection here between the federal hotline, the 988 mm-hmm. number, mm-hmm. and our local regional mm-hmm. resources – those are connected, so the person on the other end of that right. line is going to be that person living in your community, in your district? Is yes. that Okay. So it's connected to Iowans. So we already had a hotline uh, for suicide around our state, and we had, I don't know, maybe seven or eight. And so we had different phone numbers, confusing to people depending on where you lived. But um, there's a group out of Cedar Rapids that does most of that work, and they're connected to Your Life Iowa and to the national suicide hotlines. And so all of those people have existed before. What this did was give a one-stop number that just connected it. And so we are at a – the last time I looked at statistics on this, people were answering within 30 seconds, and it was 98% of the time a person from Iowa answering the number. Mm. And so there are going to be some times when maybe we're overflowed and it rolls to a national group – but for the most part, it's coming to somebody here, and it's coming to somebody here that knows the local resources, which is the best part, because it's going to be somebody from Iowa who knows Iowa who can get you the right help. So even if you're not suicidal but you want to know resources, they're not going to be mad at you for calling in and asking for what you need because that's their job, and they're going to be the experts in how, knowing what to do. That's great. Um, what, From a licensed mental health therapist perspective, let's go back to the employer piece and I guess we can talk about the employee piece too but let's let's focus on the employer piece for one what are some easy steps I know you do a lot of consulting in the healthcare space yeah right you approve the 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 lives of our nurses and our folks in the healthcare space and so what are some easy steps that employers can take to to stop that stigma within their own company that is a great question so we actually do a lot of work in workplaces now um, because employers are kind of stuck. There's a big gap between what happened in the pandemic with frontline employees versus leadership. And some companies are doing a great job of having those conversations. Some companies don't have any idea what to do. The younger generations are coming in wanting to talk about mental health. Older generations were never taught to talk about mental health, so there's a gap, right? So we've actually found that coming in and having conversations to teach people and just kind of mediate a conversation is a big place to start. But that survey we talked about earlier, that Pulse survey, talks about who would seek help. And only 26% of the people surveyed said they'd get help. A big chunk of them said they wouldn't do it. They weren't sure that they'd do it. And But a huge chunk said, no way, not going to get help. And that's due to the stigma piece we're talking about. And 
So you can probably guess what other, if you had to guess some reasons why people don't get help. Sure, retaliation, obvious. fear. That's right. Um, yeah. the, the not rocking the boat, the, the, mm-hmm. the good old boys club. I mean, we that's yeah. not just in construction. That's in everything. Manufacturing. So, yeah. So I that mean, particular everywhere. survey, 78% said shame and stigma, number yeah. one. But 77% right behind judgment of their peers. Yeah. Really close. And then fear for job consequences. Sure. And this is how management can help. Right. If you make sure there's not consequences and that there's actually even, you know, some kind of accolades or bonus or excitement because people ask for help mm-hmm. and make that a good thing instead of a bad thing. But that's a reason. And then the last piece is people just don't know how, which mm-hmm. is why this conversation about 988 is so important because people don't know where to start. Yeah. And it's confusing and it doesn't have to be. So if they if anybody can figure nothing else out that they can get 988, then they have a resource that will get them where they need to go. And for managers, I mean, just reach out for consultants that want to help and train, bringing in people that help. If they have their EAP, that's what their EAP does. They're paying for that service. They have trainers. That's what they do. So have their company look and see, well, what, who are we paying for? What are we doing? Bring them in to help train management. That is shown in the surveys as the biggest thing they can do to, be, to have help is to train people. That's great. Um, what does Renee Schulte, licensed mental health therapist, do to keep her mental health in a, in a positive light? What do, you, what do you do personally? That's a, that's a great question. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Um, I actually have a lot of personal boundaries that I set. And the biggest one I figured out, I had a health crash after my time in the legislature. I was going to run for Congress, ended up in the hospital. It's a really sad, sad state of affairs and per- terrible story. But what I learned out of it was I wasn't taking care of me, setting boundaries. And so my biggest boundaries are going to bed on time and getting up on time and then watching what I eat mm. and what I drink. Mm-hmm. And so I have to sleep is like the biggest piece. Mm. And in the construction world, that's a piece that nobody talks about it's and tough. nobody values mm-hmm. because you work really long days, really long hours, and you're exhausted and you don't sleep well. And we don't like to talk about this, but people think alcohol helps you sleep. It helps you fall asleep faster, but it wakes you up in the middle of the night and it messes up your sleep. So if you've got people out there that are drinking to try to relax after a really awful day to make their bodies feel better and they go to sleep, they're not getting the best sleep they can. So if you can do nothing else, that's the number one thing is figuring out how to sleep. And as you know, in the state house, we never slept. Yep. It was a train wreck. Yep. And so I didn't do that well and that my body paid the price of that. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, Renee, I, I really appreciate you being here today. Um, again, we thought it was very important for us to uh, use May and Mental Health Awareness Month to um, help stop the stigma, um, help provide these resources uh, to our folks. Um, I wondered if you would um, you know, be willing to share your contact information with anybody that might want to reach out and have a conversation with you. Is there, How can they get a hold of you? Do you have a website? We do. We're ruralpolicypartners.com. Um, you can come there, and there's a link to reach directly to me, or my email is renee at ruralpolicypartners.com. You're willing to reach out and help. And if you don't know what to do or if we're the right people, or we know a lot of people. That's one of the benefits of having been a legislator. My, I call it a Rolodex. Young people don't even know what that is. <laughs> but a Rolodex, right? But it's, it's really big. And so if I don't know, I can find the right people. So I'd love to help anyone in this space that needs help. That's what I do, and I would love to help. Great. Well, thank you, Renee. Um, again, very vitally important information. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. It's been real. 